Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In this episode, the origin of fajitas, who popularized them and how, plus the fajita thief. How one man stole over $1.2 million worth of fajitas. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of The Dish. Yes, I hope you're ready for a little bit of a Mexican fiesta. It's not really Mexican though, is it? It's sort Tex- of Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex. But uh, definitely with some Mexican origins. Oh, for sure. But uh, definitely turned into a Tex-Mex dish. We are talking about fajitas. I love fajitas. It's probably, well, I mean, it is definitely my favorite Tex-Mex dish. Yeah. Uh, and probably because it's my first encounter with, in air quotes, Mexican food ever. So it is sort of Mexican food, but yeah, it's like a fusion dish. Yeah. So yeah, it's like the first thing I ever ate like growing up in England that was remotely considered a Mexican dish. Oh, really? Yours was fajitas? Mine was like old El Paso tacos. No, nah, fajitas, chicken fajitas, oh, which is a complete misnomer because fajitas should not be made with chicken. That is another modern variation. What? I didn't know that. Oh, I guess I'm going to learn, aren't I? We're going to get on to this. the episode's all about. That is what the episode is all about indeed. Yes, uh, chicken is, <laughs> is a, it's a trick. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a tasty trick. I look forward to finding out. So yes, fajitas. I'm sure most people listening will know what they are already, but as we said, they're a Tex-Mex dish with uh, some Mexican origins that we'll discuss in this episode, typically with grilled meat that is, well, grilled or sometimes stewed. I mean, we've done it in lots of different ways. I think pretty much you do whatever you want these days. Yeah, but it's like meat, peppers. Peppers are an ingredient that should be involved, but don't actually have to be. I think that's another like preference. Onions is really the only other thing that seems to be what might have been used originally, but actually it could have been pretty much just the meat. All right, all but we'll right. Uh, we'll get on to that. So yeah, some sort of meat in uh, in a tortilla, basically, but it's a little bit beyond a taco, I guess. It's like the next stage from a taco. It is different from tacos. All right, I I don't know. Like that part of it, I don't think we're actually going to get into the full controversy over whether you can just call it a taco. It's fajitas. It's a different dish, but it is in a tortilla. And I tend. This might sound really dumb, but I tend to like stuff my fajitas more than I do my tacos. Like, a fajita, I kind of expect to be in a bigger... Yeah, it's a big wrap rather than a little wrap. Yeah. Tacos normally... Well, I mean, actually, a taco and a big wrap wouldn't be a taco, would it? We'd never call that a taco. No. No, no. It's always small. So, I guess, yeah, you could say that's probably one of the arguments towards it, but I'm not going to go super in-depth on that. So, you might have some sort of vegetables, onions normally, peppers is a popular choice these days, but maybe not in the very first fajitas. And other things on top, like the sour cream. Guacamole, perhaps. Yes, please. Some sort of pico de gallo or salsa and some cheese. Maybe even refried beans occasionally. Oh, I will take all of them to go. Thank you. So, yeah, I guess that's one of the other things we now associate with the the modern fajita. I mean, I know a lot of tacos, you also put things on top, like pico de gallo, perhaps, or some other types of salsas. But yeah, having sour cream and perhaps guacamole and pico de gallo all on top. It's like, it is a fiesta of condiments added to your 
your tortilla here. Yep. So that's a, another one of the things that seems to make it maybe a little bit different, maybe a bit closer to the Tex-Mex thing. Uh, obviously, we're not from Texas. We haven't actually been to Texas. Um, no. We've eaten lots and lots of fajitas all over the world, including in Mexico, where <laughs> fajitas have been imported back from Texas to Mexico and are very popular as well. So we definitely have some fajita eating experience, but we haven't been able to go to Texas ourselves. So if we do make a, the odd local mistake that's related specifically to something maybe you grew up with if you're listening to this episode and you're from Texas. Uh, sorry about that. Can't get everything one million percent right on every little colloquialism, and every little personal preference. And I think but, also uh, the thing that, I mean, we said with fajitas is that it is a lot of personal preference and there's a lot of different ways it seems that you can make them and it's like... Yeah, it's, yeah, there's no one hard, fast rule to fajitas, it seems. It's become sort of like an international food, I feel. So, yeah, yeah people now make it however we want, but we're going to try and look back at the origins and see what was going on before it turned into this complete fusion mess where you can put anything in a tortilla and call that fajita now. All right, so 1984. Well, this is not when the story starts, but this is when a professor from Texas A&M University uh, called Romero Oreseo uh, he was wondering about the origins of fajitas, and so he decided to do a really in-depth study. So quite a lot of the information that we're talking about today is going to be based on his research. So fajitas, being a Tex-Mex dish, not a classic old-school Mexican dish, most certainly didn't even arrive around until about the 1930s, 1940s. Now, when we talk about tacos, we talked about that back in episode one of the dish. Yeah. So that was our very first episode when we were living in Mexico back then. Um, we were talking about those being uh, things that weren't really a common street food until the 19th century. Yeah. So to actually think that only about 40 years later that this sort of dish is, is happening, uh, not actually that much of a surprise that it's not, as, uh, it's not as old school and ancient as people seem to typically think that some Mexican dishes are. So there you go. 1930s, 1940s is probably about when it started to happen. And most likely, it was Mexican ranch workers living in the west of Texas, very close to the Mexican border along the Rio Grande. The, the big river that divides Texas from Mexico. Sometime around then, the, 80, uh, the 1930s, 1940s, and when a steer was butchered, the workers were given the bits that weren't going to be sold, the less desirable bits. And essentially, the part that they would use to make fajitas is the skirt steak. So it's quite tough, and uh, it has to be marinated for a while to make it any good. Now, in Spanish, the word faja... Uh, translates as belt or girdle into English. So faja, as in the strip of meat that's sort of like a belt, that's probably where the etymology of the word derives. Ah, all right. Now, in Mexico, this same piece of meat is called arachera, which, of course, we've had a lot of. It was delicious. Marinated arachera is fantastic. Oh, so good. And served, like, you get the whole just meat, meaty meat, meat by itself. And it is the thing with that is you do know that it's the lesser desirable meat, but they just marinate it and cook it so well. So they marinate it for so long that the, the, the flavors and everything, like, it just comes out really well, even though it's sort of the less desirable meat. Yes, yes. Once it's marinated for a while, it softens up. And then it actually is this, wow, I mean, I don't know the texture how it's hard to describe, but it it's like almost melt in the mouth, soft. Like your yeah. knife just goes straight through it. So it's gone from a really tough piece of meat to that sort of beautiful soft piece of meat, which is fantastic. So yeah, it would have been based off this because arachera is very popular in the north part of Mexico as well as well everywhere now, but originally because that's where beef country is in the north part of Mexico. So oh, I should say C. C. Yeah. C. C. So, yeah, that would have been the food they were getting. So, they're like, well, what are we going to do with this? Um, 
and apparently slicing it up into little strips after marinating it and cooking it, cooking it up like that, and made it a little bit more easy to eat. So that was it. That would have been the the original way, or it might have been grilled and then cut into strips afterwards. Either way Either is possible. Way, yeah. Depending on what options they had, if they were cooking on a barbecue, then probably cut it up afterwards. And that's pretty much it. That's where the the word came from. And but it took quite a long time from the ranch hands eating this dish for it then to become something that was popular with people who were going out to restaurants and becoming more than just like a like just a cowboy food. Yeah. Well, I mean that's usually the way because. People don't want cowboy food. Cowboy food. Yeah. <laughs> People are like I got a home kitchen and I've got stuff I can make and yeah, I'm not, I'm not just gonna sit around a campfire in, in I know. cowboy country. Exactly. When you think like the first image that comes into your head when you're like, we're gonna have some cowboy food, I'm instantly thinking like lizard, po- <laughs> maybe lizard, but yeah. like like weird pots burning over a fireplace with. Yeah, beans. Yeah, beans and stuff. Like, it's not a desirable, exciting meal. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be tasty. I'm sure they're not carrying around a full kit bag of condiments and exactly. uh, different spices to, to make it exciting. It's just like, we've got meat, we've got tortillas, let's eat it. Yep. That's pretty much it. So, yeah, that could have been the first one. And then, yeah, it could have taken a, a solid 30 or 40 years before it started becoming a more successful food. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a quick look at the evolution of the fajita. It was probably all the way up until around 1969 seems to be the earliest reference. And and then from 1969, within about 10 to 15 years, it had become like a dish that was served all around the USA. Yeah. Like hugely popular by the 80s. So quite surprising. So the first reference we found was back in the late 60s, someone called Sonny Falcon. He was a meat market manager of uh, Guajardo's Cash Grocery. Great classy name there, Cash Grocery. Love it. Uh, He liked to experiment with ideas, like just cooking up anything with the bits of meat that they didn't necessarily sell as easily. And he thought, yeah, I'll work on the skirt steak and see what I can do with this. I'm guessing like he tells this story years after the fact. He's probably like, oh, yeah, I came up with all these ideas and blah, 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 blah. Like, well, actually, he probably just had some mates who were already doing this, <laughs> maybe. Never let They're the truth get in the way of a good up tale. Some steak. I mean, who knows? Maybe he totally came up with this slightly independently, but obviously, skirt steak was being used by the Mexican population in Texas up until that point already. So he was just aware of that as an option. And uh, he became known as the Fajita King apparently. Wow. Sometime around 1969, he set up a concession booth at a week-long outdoor event in Kyle, Texas. Kyle. I've never heard of This is a town, apparently. Kyle, Texas. So there you go. I mean, why come up with a name when you can just use a boy's name? Kyle. Kyle, Texas. All right. Probably it's just one guy called Kyle grew yeah, up there I mean, the on guy- a farm, and then he went, this is my town. Yeah, the Kyle. dude yeah, that founded it. But I don't know. I kind of consider Kyle to be a modern name, not like a- 1969. That's, that's so, old enough. So you think the town was like created in the 60s? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't think so. But who knows? All right. This is, one, this is not the most important no, point. <laughs> okay, we we yeah. digress massively Sorry. on this Kyle issue. Uh, tweet us at Food Fun Travel if you know Kyle Texas <laughs> and have you met Kyle <laughs> Do himself? You know Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was just an outdoor event about a guy called Kyle. Yeah. Maybe it was just a misprint in the newspaper. Maybe it's just a really cool dude. And they're like, you know what? 
We should have a party for Kyle. Yeah, let's have a week-long outdoor event to celebrate Kyle. Yep. Uh, yeah, so he set up a concession stand, so he was selling up some food, and nice, quick, easy food to make. He was just cooking up this, this beef, the skirt steak, and serving it in tortillas. And he ended up going around to all these different fairs and festivals because the food was popular, and everyone loved the fajitas, so he became known as the Fajita King. By sort of like the late 70s, he was the main guy. So over like those 10 years, he was like the fajita guy, the yeah. fajita king. So, yep. Apparently, he beat everyone else to it in terms of like making it, that's the name that we should call this dish. Yep. Because as we said, people were putting skirt steak in tortillas long before this. And in Mexico and the ranch hands were all doing this. So whether they were calling it fajitas all the time or not, sounds possible because of the name of it, the faja and then fajita is like a little... A yep. little belt, little skirt, state, little strips, because you, you cut them up into little strips. Yeah, you cut them up so, into I mean, little belts. That's also a good possibility, a plausible reason as to why. It's not just because it's a thin strip of steak in general, but you're slicing it up into little belts. Yeah, definitely. So that's, yeah, that, I didn't even read that one. I just made that one up. Good luck. Could <laughs> be right. Could be wrong. No, I already believe it. All right. Yeah, it's true now. <laughs> and that is how internet rumors start. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just like, that sounds plausible. Sure, why not? All right, so uh, that seems to be the earliest reference to the actual fajitas as a dish being made and sold. Now, the next story is about Nympha Rodriguez Lorenzo. Uh, in 1948, this uh, Mexican-American lady who was married to an Italian-American husband, hence the Lorenzo surname. Oh, that's going to be a good food household. Yeah, yeah you'd think that's going to be awesome. Yes, they opened a tortilla and pizza dough factory in Houston. So they're just like, it's all bread. Let's make both. <laughs> let's just make them both in a factory. Why not? The, the factory didn't do very well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> a tortilla and pizza, <laughs> like two completely different types of bread. Just didn't go down no, so well. It didn't quite work out that well. Um, so apparently, Nympha decided to open a Mexican restaurant on the side, and eventually the tortilla factory closed down, and the restaurant became more popular. And by 1973, so that's a solid 25 years later, uh, the the fajitas, her fajitas, were created for customers. Finally, so she came from. So apparently, what happened? She didn't exactly invent the dish. Apparently, a customer had been on a trip to Mexico City and had had arachera or something similar and was like, hmm, that was really tasty. And they came back and they said, can I have thin strips of steak uh, served in my tortilla, please, to make an upscale taco, apparently. So, they're like, I want a fancy taco with steak. Yeah. So, it could have been that they had something steak-based, arachera-based in Mexico City, or it could be that they're from Texas anyway and they want to eat steak. But they'd had tacos recently because they'd been to Mexico City. Yeah. And they went, I like those tacos, but I also like steak. <laughs> so could you please put some steak in my taco? It's all very plausible. Uh, yeah. Don't know. Didn't get information on that exactly. But apparently a customer asked them to make this. So she went, okay, well, how do I Mexicanize this? I'm going to use a nice piece of steak. Uh, it's going to be nice and soft already. So it probably wasn't actually skirt steak at all the first time. And... And then she went, well, okay, I'm going to put sour cream, cheese, pico de gallo, and some chilies on top. And then it's going to be fully Tex-Mexed. And that's what happened. So what she did was she took like the classic tacos al carbon, just your regular meat cooked over the barbecue, and turned it into tacos a la nympha, named after herself. And later, 
I'm assuming because the word fajitas became more common due to the fajita king and other people also doing them, she started calling them fajitas rather than tacos al nimfa. So sort of sort of similar concept in terms of making fajitas, but it didn't really start off as fajitas. So maybe she didn't really invent in any way the, the any sort of modern version of a fajita. She just went, well, that's a good name. Everyone else is using it. And I've been making these for years anyway. Yeah. Or so people coming into the restaurant and going, you know, these are called fajitas, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I thought I was getting you a special taco, but actually this is just a fajita. Yeah. Have you not been out to any other restaurants recently since 1948? <laughs> <laughs> your, your pizza factory didn't work out. We had so much extra tortillas yeah, and pizza bases. Never we, needed to go anywhere. No, we have to eat them all when we went out of business. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't know. These stories are all a little bit just like a, something happened and something happened, and he's a fajita king. Yeah. So none of them seem to be like as well documented as I would like them to be, but apparently they all claim that this is roughly what happened. So I'm going with it. Fair enough. So yeah, by the late seventies, fajitas were starting to become pretty popular. Now, in 1982, Chef George Weidman, obviously not Mexican. At all. Nope. Uh, he was the chef at the Hyatt Regency in Austin, Texas. And he recognized that this uh, fajita dish could end up being very popular and decided to put it on the menu at the Hyatt. But he called it sizzling fajitas. And this is where sort of that modern thing where it comes out on a metal tray and yeah. it's, it's really hot. So rather than cooking it on the barbecue and then serving it in a pot, it's, it's, you've got that more soft mixed on a and it adds that sort train. of wow factor yes. that you would perhaps expect from a fancy hotel restaurant. Or now any cheap Mexican restaurant. Yes, but at the time, Mexican I'm sure it was like, it America. still has a big wow factor. I mean, even if you're- Sizzling like, anything is great. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Definitely. Uh, apparently, this dish was so popular that the Hyatt at, uh, in Austin, that became the highest grossing Hyatt restaurant in the whole chain in the whole of the US. Hey. In that year, I mean, I don't know how long that lasted for, but around 1982 and just afterwards, apparently, that just became super profitable. Everyone was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's the same dish, but he squirted some liquid on it at the end and brought it out and there was steam. It was fantastic. It still impresses me to this day. So, yeah. And then from then on, it just spread across the USA super fast. Everyone was making it. Because it's great, isn't it? It's great. It is good. Yeah. I love it. It's a brilliant combination of everything good about Tex-Mex food. Yep. It's got all the yums. It has all the best bits. I mean, if you're adding all the like sour cream and guac and cheese and everything like that, it's pretty much just like all the best bits thrown in together into one big tasty meal. Exactly. So there you go. Now those are, yeah, some random, almost separated origin stories, but obviously the dish in some form was just being made in that area anyway. People just weren't very good at commercially selling it until... At least 1969. Well, I mean, we see this happen so often. Yeah. It's like, it's a really quite popular, common sort of dish, but one person is a marketing pro and goes, yeah. I'm going to make this a thing. And yeah. that's when it Or changes. I'm going to add this one other ingredient to it. Yeah. And then it's going to look better. And that's when it becomes better. a phenomenon or whatever. Yeah. It becomes internationally popular. And so, yeah, uh, to clarify also, so because Faha refers to the belt and so it's referring to the the skirt steak anything that's not faha is not a fajita but today now everything's a fajita yes because i mean as i said in the beginning i definitely think of fajitas as chicken which is what you would most commonly get but 
obviously it should be beef. Well, if you're in Texas, beef probably is still more common because they have so much beef. Yeah, so I guess it just depends on where you're having the fajita in the world and what's the most common protein. Uh, It's also because- Well, you're not going to get like fish fajitas. Well, at the time, as we said, like previously, beef was cheaper than chicken. That is true. Uh, like, Chickens like only become bad affordable cuts, bad cuts recently. Of beef. I don't mean steak. Obviously, steak was always more expensive, but bad cuts of beef, the less desirable cuts were supposedly more available or cheaper for a while. Yeah. And that's probably why. And that's why they were handing them out to uh, farm workers rather exactly. than selling them. So let's talk about some other random facts. Yes, I'm waiting to hear about this. The fajita thief. Yes. Everyone wants to know about that. I mean, how do you uh, steal $1.2 million worth of fajitas? And why? It's an interesting story. All right, some uh, random facts. August 18th is National Fajita Day, but it's actually a complete- Oh, we missed it. We just missed it. Uh, That was like a week or so ago from when we're recording right now. But the reason we probably missed it is it is basically a corporate creation to sell fajitas by the On the Border restaurant and from Dallas, the Dallas chain that opened also in 1982, probably after the Hyatt released Sizzling Fajitas. They went, all right, let's do this. Get on that. Don't know. But um, this celebration of National Fajita Day only started in 2016, so it's also a pretty recent one. Oh, that is new. Um, Yeah, so... That's it. If you want to celebrate that and put some money in some corporate pockets or just make your, your fajitas at home, which is great Every too. day can be fajita day. Every day. We do a lot of fajita days at home. It's quick and easy and very tasty. So, as we said, from the early 80s onwards, the popularity of fajitas skyrocketed, even to the point where in the 90s, McDonald's tried to put fajitas on their menu. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah. In 1991, they released their chicken fajitas. So once they instantly destroyed the point that it was supposed to be beef <laughs> and released it as chicken. Um, yes, uh, apparently they, they advertised this. It did not do very well. And uh, it, yeah, it was just, it was not a successful choice. It did not continue. And apparently, though, there is still a Facebook page with a few hundred fans called uh, Bring Back Chicken Fajitas to McDonald's, <laughs> which has like 400 likes or something. I think it might be more now because actually BuzzFeed shared this page. So maybe a whole bunch of people went and liked it. Yep. But prior to BuzzFeed sharing it, uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot less. So not a very popular choice. I mean, do you want McDonald's fajitas? I, I don't think that sounds good. I don't, no. I don't want McDonald's anything really apart from maybe the fries. I want a McFlurry. Uh, of course you do. <laughs> All right, and the fajita thief. Let's get into this. This is a fun story. Okay, so a Texas man was sentenced to 50 years in jail after stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas over the course of nine years from 2008 to 2017. What? Yep. Uh, Gilberto Escamilla, 53 years old, was employed at the Daryl B. Hester Juvenile Detention Center in San Benito, Texas. Until August 2017, when it was discovered that he had been placing fake orders for fajitas and using county funds from the jail to buy them and then selling all of the fajita mix that was being brought to him for his own profit for nine years. How was he getting it out of the prison? Because obviously it was going to be delivered to the prison or the detention center. Well, so what happened was... Uh, his scheme completely fell apart in August 2017 because the delivery driver bringing the fajitas to the prison phoned the detention center kitchen and obviously got the wrong person on the phone, not Gilberto, 
And he said, um, so I've just got this 800 pound delivery of fajitas coming in. Um, can I arrange to get through and, and deliver to you guys? And uh, the employees were a little bit suspicious by this phone call because apparently they don't serve fajitas on the detention center no, menu obviously. at all. <laughs> this is uh, not something that is available to inmates. So, like, why would we need that much fajitas and what's going on? And the delivery driver said, I've been delivering this here for nine years. What do you mean you don't serve it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. And then they eventually realized that Gilberto had just been receiving deliveries and then taking them away and selling them in a, like a side restaurant. The total amount of orders that he purchased using county funds was $1.251 million. Oh my well, God. $1,251,578.72 that he had filtered out of the jail system over nine years. How did he get away with it for that long? That is over $125,000 a year coming out of the food budget. And no one noticed. No one noticed. And they only noticed because a delivery driver called the prison. Oh, my God. Apparently, the guy, like, pleaded fully guilty and was very apologetic and said that it it just got too much. It started off small and then he, he just couldn't help himself <laughs> to the point where he was ordering 800 pounds at a time. Like 400 kilos of... Oh, my God. I mean, 400 that's, kilos of fajitas, that's, that's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, I mean, that's enough to feed, like, 1,200 people or something, at least. Oh, my goodness. So crazy. Uh, yeah, so he got a 50-year prison sentence. That's so long. He was fined $10,000 just as a fine, but also ordered to pay back the $1.2 million. Which, of course, is so easy to do when you're in prison for 50 years. Well, he's 53 and he's going to be in until he's 103. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> so that's not going to happen, is it? Oh, well, you know, he had nine good years. We made a lot what of money. What a thing to go to prison for. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he must have had some money in his bank account from selling that money for heaters for free with no overheads apart from staffing costs. Yeah. Yeah, no, he would have been doing all right. You'd think, I, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That is the story of how you steal $1.2 million worth of fajitas. I mean, you've co- you've kind of got to be seen as a legend around the prison. Yeah. Because, you know, you see it on TV and they're like, what are you in for? And it's like, oh, um, you know, I did this or I, you know, wrote, stole a bunch of cars. And he's like, I stole a bunch of fajitas for nine years. And I regret nothing. Yep, exactly. All right, that's it. That's it for fajitas. All right. I mean, there might be more, but that's all, that's all we're covering. I'm that's hungry it. anyway. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. It's almost lunchtime. So, yep, fajita faith and ranch hands. That's, that's, the main, that's the main story here. There you go. So, yeah, quite new, but, uh, but still old. But, <laughs> you know, it's all that modern marketing making it what it is today. And you know what? It's still a favorite. I think people around the world, it's definitely... Like one of the main go-to Mexican dishes that you would definitely order anywhere in the world, and, and be perfectly happy with what you get. It's it's one of those ones you kind of you kind of know what you're going to get with it, so you're happy to it's order that anywhere. Meat and onions and stuff. Yeah, and you can't go massively wrong with it unless you season it completely wrong. I mean, who knows? All right, yes. Yeah, so uh, this is going to be our. Last live episode for a while. Well, live, I mean, uh, it's the last new episode for a while because Meg's going on maternity leave. So we will see when we can get another episode out. Maybe it'll be sooner rather than later. Who knows? But we're going to rebroadcast a few of our favorite episodes over the next few weeks. 
So don't miss out on those. If you haven't listened to our whole back catalogue and you're not really sure which ones you think are going to be the most entertaining and best to listen to, we're we're going to let you know by rebroadcasting a few of them over the, the next month or two until we can get another episode out. So, yeah, thanks for supporting us thus far. And we hope to be back with some new content in a month or two as well. And we'll see how we go. And as always, if you want to support the show, which we'd really appreciate, you can either drop us a couple of bucks a month by going to foodfuntravel.com slash extras and becoming a patron. Or most importantly, really, just start sharing. Tell people about it. We got a lot of episodes back there. This is episode 64, I believe. So there's a ton of content. That's like a solid maybe 50 hours of listening at least. Yeah. So plenty of stuff to go back and listen to and plenty of stuff for new people coming to the podcast to enjoy. So if you're a food lover and you know other food lovers, please share. It really helps us out and we appreciate it. All right. We will see you at some point in the future. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.